Welcome to the official Substack of Brandon Ritchie. Today's date is July 17th, 2023. And if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome aboard. I'm grateful to have you here. If you're a returning listener, I'm grateful to have you here. So you guys know, you guys, ladies and gents, you all know that I'm excited to have your ears. And in doing so, I want to make uh, today's episode, like all the rest, as interesting as possible. So on that note, today's the title of today's episode, rather is a cultural Chernobyl, a cultural Chernobyl, all right? And there's three key areas here that I'm going to kind of highlight that I'm going to get into and explain and clarify here very shortly. The first is, what shocking thing will you discover in the secluded cabin deep in the woods? The second thing is, what was the cause of the Chernobyl accident? And the third thing is, What cultural thermonuclear bomb went off on July the 4th? Okay, so these are all interesting uh, highlights that I'm going to to dive into and clarify here very shortly, so please stick with me. Real quick, though, before I get started on the uh, nuts and bolts of all of this, if you are a first-time listener, please make sure that you go to Brandon Ritchie dot substack.com and subscribe you can become a free subscriber it's very easy all you got to do is scroll down below the fold there you'll see some login boxes various various different uh buttons there that you can hit uh you should be queued uh to do so right when you go to brandonrichie.substack.com there'll be a pop-up box there and you can just simply log in with your email uh if you want to go a step further and you really like and appreciate uh, a an anti-administrative state media platform, and you want to demonstrate your support for that type of platform in a in a in, in a freedom first, America first messaging platform. You can also become a paid subscriber, and that's very easy. Just scroll down below the fold, and you'll see uh, some buttons there to do so. In fact, right now I'm offering a twenty percent discount on an annual subscription, which basically makes the cost of supporting a freedom message about the cost of a cup of coffee coffee per month for you for the annual commitment. So I uh, would love to absolutely have you there. Uh, I think the subscription-based model in this day and age is the best, about the most honest and best way to do this sort of thing because with centralized big corporate structures, big media structures, they have, you know, they have uh, centralized, a lot of big centralized donors and so they're beholden to those donors and those donors' messages and the messages that they want to put forward into the public. So at least with a subscription-based model, uh, if you're supporting this show, you know that I'm working for you, and I know that you're supporting me. So if you like the message and you want to do that, I'd love to have you on board. Also, if you're listing on an alternative platform, I'm available on uh, multi multitude of platforms with distribution such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, um, TuneIn. So I'm on these uh, alternative platforms as well as Google. You can go to Google uh, Podcast. Uh, if you're on Spotify, uh, take, a, take a moment and hit the follow button and take about two seconds and hit the five-star rating uh, as you'll help me kind of circumvent the suppression it's censorship that I'm getting uh, as a as a freedom first messenger on all the other social media platforms as they don't like so much of this messaging getting out 
and my analytics seem to prove it. So if you want to help me circumvent that, the more engagement you put forward, if you're a force multiplier, you go out and share the show links and uh, you follow me on Spotify and hit the five-star rating, the more any and all of that engagement, you drop a comment on the Substack below this episode or any episode for that matter, any and all that engagement is what drives interest, drives the traffic, drives the social proofing, and helps me to circumvent that censorship and that suppression. So we're fighting on multiple battles here, but this is the point of the show. So with that being said, now I'm going to get into the nuts and bolts of today's topic, which is an audio article readout. And the title, once again, is A Cultural Chernobyl. Preface, quote, a government that cannot trust its citizens to be armed is not itself to be trusted. Niccolo Machiavelli, the Prince. Today I want to take a moment to put your mind through a little exercise. One day you decide to go for a walk into the forest. As you're walking, you find a trail and you decide to stick to it, so you meander your way deeper and deeper into the woods to satisfy your adventurous spirit and curiosity. After a long walk, you finally see something off in the distance. As you move closer, you notice that you've come up on a secluded cabin that is sitting deep inside the forest. However, upon approaching this cabin, you get an uneasy feeling. There's no appearance of anyone around, and you've just spent a good amount of time trekking through the woods. You notice the front door, so you carefully approach it and walk up to try to open the door. Once you grab the door handle to open it, you notice that it's locked, so you decide to kick in the door. Once you successfully get it open, you notice that strangely enough, it was locked from the inside and once you get a look of what is inside the cabin, what you see is absolutely shocking. You see a dead man hanging by his neck from a rope in the middle of the room. However, there's no stool, there's no bucket, there's no chair or any other object that he could have stepped up to in order to hang himself. After scanning the room, you notice there are no windows, no other doors, and only a puddle of water that is collected on the floor right below where the guy is hanging. So now you're sitting there wondering what in the world happened here. To offer you some clarity, this little intriguing story is actually a riddle. So why did I go to the trouble to tell you about it? Also, how did the guy die? Well, the reason I chose to tell you this little riddle is because I wanted to use it as an exercise in addressing the concept of the inductive reasoning. So what is inductive reasoning? Inductive reasoning is often confused with deductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning begins with a premise that is proven through observations. However, inductive reasoning essentially occurs in reverse by extracting a likely but not certain premise from specific and limited observations. Make no mistake, there's data involved with inductive reasoning and conclusions can be drawn from the data, which is also known as inductive logic. Source lives science. So in this case of the cabin, what are the specific observations that we can make from the dead man's environment? What sort of inductive logic can we apply to this situation? First of all, for an initial observation, there's no other doors or windows in the cabin, and the only door that exists is the one you had to kick in due to the fact that it was locked from the inside. In addition to this, there's also a puddle of water that is collected on the floor directly below the guy's feet from where he's hanging. So to recap, we have in our observations a guy 
that had to have killed himself by hanging because there was no other way in or out of the cabin, and the only door to the cabin was locked from the inside. So that leaves us with a puddle of water that is collected on the ground below the guy's feet. Where could that have come from? Well, given there's no other furniture, no bucket, no other means for the guy to stand on something in order to get high enough to hang himself, we could offer a theory that perhaps the guy used a big block of ice to stand on in order to hang himself, and as the ice melted, he hung while the ice formed the puddle that was collected just below his feet. As absurd as this scenario may sound, this isn't only the best and most logical conclusion that we can that we can come to given the information that we have, but it also happens to be the answer to this particular riddle. <laughs> now that we've established an exercise in inductive logic, let's take a look at the next thing that's in front of us. Heading, Chernobyl. In April of 1986, the explosion of a nuclear reactor occurred at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine, formerly a part of the Soviet Union. Even after years of debate and investigations, there are still many unanswered questions regarding the reasons behind why the plant explosion occurred. The plant is about 81 miles north of the Ukrainian capital in Kiev. The plant is made up of four reactors that were designed and built in the 1970s and 1980s. In its construction, the Chernobyl plant used four Soviet-designed RBMK-1000 nuclear reactors, which is a design that's now recognized as inherently flawed. The initial explosion killed two plant workers, but these will be the first of several plant workers to die following the accident, source Live Science. In this disaster, the initial fire was stalled, but the resulting graphite fuel fire would take 10 days and 250 firefighters to extinguish. 28 workers from the Chernobyl nuclear plant would die in the first four months following the accident, according to the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, NRC. This would also include the deaths of some truly heroic workers who knowingly had to expose themselves to deadly levels of radiation in order to secure the facility from any further radiation leaks. Source, Live Science. During that time, much of the wind direction was coming from the south in the east, therefore pushing the radiation plume towards Belarus. However, Soviet authorities were slow to release information to the public with such a disaster. When radiation levels raised some concerns all the way in Sweden three days later, scientists were able to trace back to the origin of the disaster based on the radiation levels and wind direction of the plume, and this would then force Soviet authorities to own up and reveal the full extent of the crisis, according to the United Nations. For three months of the disaster, a total of 31 people died from radiation exposure, and between 1991 and 2015, there were 20,000 cases of thyroid cancer in patients under the age of 18 in 1986. This was a report that was published in 2018 by the United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation. So why did I want to dive in, dive in to point towards the Chernobyl nuclear plant meltdown and explosion? Given what we do know about the accident, the thing that really stands out to me is how the Soviet officials took their time in reporting out the information regarding the disaster that took place given the level of threat it could pose to innocent people throughout the region. Sure, the typical bureaucratic answer would be to wait for all the information to come as to not cause a panic. However, such a disaster occurring with, with such a disaster occurring, 
that they admittedly had a hand in causing and a definite hand in worsening due to their attempt to pursue what was more politically expedient at the time rather than what was best for the public safety. To understand the Soviet Union at that time, you had to understand that the country was already infected with institutional failure and bureaucratic corruption and right, after all, as a communist regime at the time of the disaster in 1986, Looking back on history, the Soviet Union was only five years away from collapsing from the Cold War. Now hold on to your hat because this is where I'm about to draw a very concerning and parallel line to the institutional failure and bureaucratic rot we're facing right now here in the United States that looks eerily similar to that of the Soviet Union of the 1980s. Like the Chernobyl nuclear plant disaster back then, the U.S. has already experienced a similar disaster of epic proportions with the East Palestine-Ohio train derailment this year. Similar to the Chernobyl disaster, the bureaucratic response to the East Palestine incident was even worse from the unified command of government officials, responders, and the railroad here in the states on the scene of the accident deciding on the handling of a chemical disaster with, quote, 200 combined years of experience making those decisions, end quote, in the words of Pennsylvania Emergency Management Agency Director Randy Padfield. As a result, they ordered a, quote, controlled burn, end quote, of the very dangerous chemicals, source Politico. To point to an even greater example of the poor bureaucratic rod of finger-pointing and trying to master the avoidance of being blamed, Joe Biden admitted back in February of 2023 that he hadn't had any plans for visiting East Palestine, Ohio, after the massive environmental disaster, despite being a huge self-proclaimed advocate of the environmental and climate change movement. As a side note, neither Al Gore nor Greta Thunberg has bothered to speak on or make an appearance in East Palestine either. For such a disaster of this magnitude, I personally would have thought they would be one of the first groups on the scene. Of course, I'm being sarcastic, but you know, who went to East Palestine and was criticized by the administrative state media, the ASM, for delivering clean drinking water to the people? For the record, that would be Donald John Trump. Furthermore, when Chernobyl, when the Chernobyl meltdown and explosion occurred, that incident presented a massive problem for the Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev. This was due to the slow response and the disaster caused a lot of the population to question the new regime as a reasonable and accountable government, according to the Directorate of Intelligence of the CIA in a secret document that was recently published by Stanford University. Source, Stanford, the Chernobyl accident, social and political implications. In short, because of the rot that has spread throughout the Soviet Union under communist rule, the reactors that would result in the meltdown were not built well in the first place. The Chernobyl accident was really the result of institutional right that had already been in place both prior and after the accident. That was the actual reason for the Chernobyl disaster. Like Chernobyl, we can draw the same parallels with the East Palestine train derailment here in the States. After all, like the authorities in the Soviet Union proclaimed, there was no concern for radiation fallout due to the Chernobyl accident. We now know, as I stated earlier, of the 20,000 cases of thyroid cancer in adults younger than 18, so that statement was obviously radically false. In addition to this, on February 16, 2023, the EPA Administrator Michael Regan stated that the air and drinking water were safe in East Palestine, Ohio. Source, CBS News. This was shocking 
given the fact that United States Senator J.D. Vance went on site to East Palestine, Ohio, two weeks after the accident and drug a stick through a creek full of dead fish and worms, revealing an obvious chemical trail that was colored and still very present in the water. Source, Fox News. I suppose the EPA has a very different definition of what clean and safe means than I do. No, the simpler explanation is more in line and more easily clarified using Occam's razor. If you're not familiar with that term, term, Occam's razor basically states that when you're trying to explain a problem or problems with competing hypotheses associated with a prediction, one should prefer the explanation that is the simplest and requires the fewest assumptions. In other words, the simplest and most obvious explanation in this case boils down to a clear sign of institutional right. That's my analysis using Occam's razor. Heading, the cultural right. So you're probably sitting there and thinking, Brandon, what else are you looking at in our society to come to the conclusion that we have institutional right? Well, my answer to that question would also be a simple one because all I do is observe reality. Besides the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment, I can list off quite a few more examples here based on some simple observation. For starters, you can look at the failing of the banks in Silicon Valley, Signature Bank, and First Republic, along with the bailouts from the federal government that followed while completely ignoring East Palestine, Ohio, the current ruling regime in Washington, D.C. weaponizing the FBI, the executive branch pushing social media companies to censor U.S. citizens, the use of lawfare to attack political opposition, the attempt to imprison political opposition, the 40-year record high inflation, the threat of World War III, and the fact that there is zero accountability for the criminals currently residing in Washington, D.C. Yes, I believe I pretty much have my theory of institutional right pinned down. However, if that still isn't quite enough to satisfy you, then let's take a look at what we observed here in the past couple of weeks particularly on the July 4th weekend. On July 4th, 2023, a cultural thermonuclear bomb went off at the movie theaters with the release of the movie The Sound of Freedom. The Sound of Freedom is a movie that follows the life of a former government agent, Tim Ballard, who embarks on a mission to rescue children from sex traffickers in Colombia. The movie was produced by Angel Studios and was released only in a select number of theaters, due to the fact that it was a struggle to get distribution for the film. In fact, Disney had owned the rights to this film and shelved it, resulting in the filmmakers buying the rights back from the studio. Despite the movie only working on a $14.5 million budget, it opened on July 4th, beating out Disney's own Indiana Jones at the box office, which was working on a three to $400 million budget. In the days that followed, if you watch the administrative state media, ASM, and their reaction to the film, you would think that making a movie regarding the efforts to rescue children from sex traffickers was somehow very evil and wrong. As an example, CNN accused the movie of being some sort of QA9 conspiracy that was somehow designed to send the wrong message to people. I'm doing my best to try to make sense of their criticism because I fail to understand why a movie that is fighting against the sex trafficking of little children is viewed by CNN as being a bad thing. After all, this is the same media that caused the spread of the infection of mass formation during the pandemic by accusing the unvaccinated of being the cause of the pandemic. Yes, I have a long memory, and I'm hoping to jog yours if you don't possess one. 
Regardless, the desperation of the failing ASM is being revealed through the cultural and institutional right that has proven to be the real pandemic in this country, and thankfully, the American public can use a little inductive logic by simply making some specific observations that I've already outlined here. Heading, the wrap-up. At the end of the day, it's starting to get a lot easier to point to the evidence of institutional failure and cultural right that's taking place right here in our own backyards rather than having to look to a communist system from the past like the Soviet Union. After all, you don't have to go very far with that as all you have to do is to take a look at Disney and what they chose to do with the movie The Sound of Freedom. Once again, history is our roadmap, and the application of knowledge in the form of understanding our environment is what will pave the way to identifying the problems that are going on in the country so that we can then offer the solutions. The good news is that this show is about offering solutions, and since the institutional right here in the U.S. has clearly become pervasive throughout the big corporate structures and within the halls of Washington, D.C., it's up to both you and myself to be active in combating it. We're experiencing our own cultural Chernobyl, and if we don't get a handle on it by using some inductive reasoning to make the necessary observations to then counter with the necessary solutions, then the toxic plume of communism will continue to spread even further, degrading everything in its path. This is exactly why I'm a proponent of the parallel economy, and I'm always encouraging the active participation in supporting businesses and industry that align with your values. This very show exists for that reason, and I'm here to remind you of that very thing. I hope you enjoyed today's article podcast. If so, I hope you would choose to support this platform as part of the Patriot Economy as well. Be an emissary of freedom and help to push this piece out to your friends, family, and co-workers. In order for both you and me to influence and strengthen our society, we must not stay idle, And so please make sure you hit the subscribe and share buttons here below. Spreading messages like this one is how we influence our culture, and I need your help in order to do it. Also, listen to this episode here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Cast. If you like this podcast and the message, please take a moment to give it a five-star rating on the Spotify platform. Also, to connect with me, please make sure you join me here on Twitter, Facebook, Getter, and now Substack's new social media called Notes. Stay strong, stay focused, stay active, and have a great day.